Hello and welcome to episode 84 of Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And today we're going to be beginning our episode with discussing mountains versus sea. Um, that's all Simon's responsibility. <laughs> well, my friend Kirsty suggested it. Simon's friend Kirsty's responsibility. <laughs> um, and then in the second part, we're going to be comparing tea books about family members Auntie Mame by Patrick Dennis and Her Son's Wife by Dorothy Canfield. So first of all, Simon, how are you coping in quarantine and um, what are you reading? Yeah, um, it's the longer it gets, the easier I'm finding it, which is quite bizarre. Um, I think I've just got into the rhythm of it. I haven't seen anyone, any of my friends and family for weeks. I've not touched anyone in, for like two months, but it's fine. Um, I'm Thankfully, I am able to read again. The first couple of weeks, I found it really hard and I wasn't really reading much at all, but now I mm-hmm. seem to be back into to anything. Um, and what I'm currently reading is um, The Vanishing Celebrities by Adrian Allington, which uh-huh. I picked up because it was pretty, but... Um, it's on this albatross edition. So I don't know if you've come across those. Again, yeah. Like sort of paint. Weirdly, it's like number 5,000 and something in the series. 5,364. Um, if there were that many, you'd think you'd stumble across albatross editions more often, but I don't seem to. No, anyway. I don't. It's very funny. It's um, I don't know if it's going to be a murder mystery or what, but it's essentially a house party where various celebrities have come together. Uh, and there's a room in the West Tower where anyone who sleeps there vanishes. And so far, a few of them Ooh. have vanished. Uh, but what's really fun is trying to work out. I don't. Some of them might just be types, but some of them are very clearly rep, um, like uh, taking off people who were famous in the period. So there's a detective novelist whose hero is Sir Cecil Sweetlip, who is very jealous of another detective novelist with a French detective, um, Aristide Fufupu. So we've <laughs> got a bit of a Dorothy Alsayers and Agatha Christie off. There, <laughs> so I'm loving. They've just referenced a man called Tenderly Jones who writes whimsically about gardens, who I think is meant to be Beverly Nichols. Yeah. Um, it's all great fun. It's from 1930-something. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't think he's particularly well-known. I tried to find other people who've written about it, and I haven't found anyone. He, yeah. I think his most famous one is a, is a detective novel about cricket. But, uh, yeah, it's good fun. And in contrast, the book I just finished, which is really good, is called Inferno by Catherine Cho, which just came out, which is a memoir about postpartum psychosis. So, wow. Yeah, which... What a contrast. Very much a contrast. Uh, <laughs> but it's for, such a good book. It's um, It sort of jumps back and forth between it, her time spent in involuntary sectioning, so her time leading up to po- um, having her baby and then three months later having psychosis and then describing what that's like. Uh, scary stuff, but such a beautiful um, and interesting book. I recommend um, if you're not feeling too fragile, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, it sounds very interesting and a topic that should be discussed more. And apparently the, L- Laura Dockrell's just written one as well, which I um, have not read and I can't remember the name of it. But uh, yeah, it's one of those weird things where two memoirs about postpartum psychosis come out at the same time. Wow. Um, how are you? What are you? What are you up to? What are you reading? I just got back to London this morning. Um, I've been staying with my sister for nearly six weeks, I think. So um, it's very nice being in the countryside, um, and it felt a little bit like I was sheltered from the reality of things because normally when I stay at my sister's, I don't do very much anyway. So <laughs> like going for walks and all the usual walks we do, and pottering down to the garden centre that sells food. That's what we'd normally do anyway. So, can you, is um, your garden centre open? Yes, um, because it sells food. Oh. And so you were able to buy plants as well if you wanted to. Um, but because the corner, the village corner shop shut, so they decided that they would, uh, they, because they have a cafe normally. Um, and what they did is they got their restaurant supplier to keep supplying them with food so that people in the village who couldn't get to the supermarket in the next town could still get food without having to because there's a lot of elderly people who oh, were a bit nervous good. about yeah. you know, going down into the town so it worked really well so we were able to walk down there and get that so I didn't need to leave the village at all I haven't left the village in nearly six weeks so um yeah my brother-in-law drove me back this morning and it was um yeah it was a real surprise actually just driving through London it took us just 
over half an hour to drive here because there was no traffic at all. Wow, yeah. It's very bizarre and just nobody around. And um, So, yeah, but it's, I'm back now. And, um, yeah, it's, a, it's quite a change being back. And there's nobody in my block of flats at all. I don't know where they've all gone. Um, <laughs> and the communal garden is all overgrown because the people who normally look after it have obviously gone to another house or something. And it just feels a bit like I'm in some weird dystopian future. But, um, you know, I it's fine. And it'll be nice to be, you know, back in my own space. Yeah. So, yeah, and have my books and things. So um, I've been reading my way through Hilary Mantle's new book, The Mirror and the Light, which um, is almost 900 pages long, <laughs> uh, which is quite possibly the longest book I will ever have read, actually. I don't know if I've, oh, well. I've ever read. Oh, no, maybe not. Maybe because I'm How long are the sure longest that... Harry Potter books? I can't remember. Yes. And also I've read the Lord of the Rings series, so probably... But um, it, I mean, it feels it feels like um, it feels like a real commitment. I mean, I'm very much enjoying it. Um, but it's you know, like when you've been reading something for two weeks and you feel like you know you've you've put a good stint in every day, but you're feeling like you're still not really getting anywhere. Um, that's yeah. where I'm at at the moment. But I've only got about 150 pages left to go, so I'm going to try and blitz finish it this weekend. Um, I've had a few friends who just assume. Yeah, I know what's going to happen, and it's just I don't want him to die. <laughs> Um, I've had a few friends who've just assumed that I'm reading it for some reason. Obviously, not friends who know me well enough to know my my views on historical fiction. But it's just the idea yeah. the idea that everyone who who reads must be reading Hilary Mantel. Maybe maybe yeah, it's says. surprising actually how many people I know have never read any of them. Um, I know quite a few people who've watched the TV series but haven't watched the book. Uh, read the book, sorry. <laughs> but um, I, for me, I just think. I remember when the first one came out, it must be 10 years ago now, how mad is that? Um, and I read the first few pages and thought, oh gosh, there's no way I'm ever going to get into this. It's all present tense and everything else. And it's all dialogue. Um, but actually, once you get into it, it's just really addictive. And the characters are really well-rounded. And I don't know, I don't. you probably wouldn't like it, no. Um, yeah, I read like three pages of it once. I thought, not for me. So, yeah. But the TV series is really good for anyone who doesn't want to commit themselves to the book. It is still available on BBC iPlayer right now and it's so well acted and it's just such a good series anyway. I would recommend. Because it's a great story and fantastic characters and so well written. And Hilary Mantel, um, I want to say I could be lying, but I feel like she did write the TV series or was heavily involved in the writing of the TV series. So um, you really do get a flavour of the book from it. Okay. If you can't face reading three nine hundred page books, <laughs> well, you know, the combination of historical fiction and long books was never going to be top of my list. I think if you've written a nine hundred page book, just write a better four hundred page book. Simon, there's never a need for a book to be that long. Just never. Well, it turns out that a lot of stuff happened. Well, uh, <laughs> so you know, it's um, there's a lot that needs filling. But <laughs> it's, yeah, that's good. That I'm, I'm looking forward. <laughs> to reading something else now though <laughs> what's next on the list um i don't know really i mean obviously i'm supposed to be doing my shelf reading mm. uh, but as i just mentioned to you the next one on the shelf is bleak house and i just <laughs> don't feel like now is the time you need, um, you need a breather with a short book don't you yeah so i don't know i'm gonna have a look and see i feel like maybe a murder mystery or something nice. so yeah I might go and get a Dorothy Sayers. I might skip to a few letters in the alphabet and <laughs> allow myself a treat. So, yeah. Nice. Well, so, yes, the first half of this, a topic suggested by my friend Kirsty that Rachel alleges she can't think of anything for, but will definitely come up with things, um, <laughs> is Sea versus Mountains, or obviously books set in the sea versus <laughs> books set in mountainous regions. Um, so I, I guess I, nothing. that's obviously not true. <laughs> 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 I mean, Heidi, for goodness sake. But um, <laughs> I've read it. No, me neither, actually. But uh, <laughs> well, I'll just start talking then. And you, you'll doubtless join in. Um, okay. Well, the first things I thought about with this, with the sea were people going to visit the seaside. So uh, I know you've read Fortnight in September by our sea. Oh well, Sarah. if we're doing seaside, I thought you meant like literally on the sea. Oh, no. No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, well, I've got plenty to say then. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, yes, I have not read many that are just, like, set on a boat. Although, but maybe there are. I don't know. <laughs> Mutiny on the Bounty, I guess. 
But anyway, mm. <laughs> um, well, I thought it was an interesting division for both of these between books about people visiting and books about people living there. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the same way that I don't love historical fiction or books set abroad if people aren't from those countries, um, I prefer generally books about people writing about their own community who live there who aren't just constantly marvelling about the things they're seeing. But in contrast to that, I love A Fortnight in September, The Fortnight in September, whatever it is. Doesn't everyone? I know. I mean, R.C. Sheriff can't put a foot wrong in my eyes. Yeah. He's just wonderful storytelling. And so if anyone hasn't read that book, it's, um, which is a Persephone uh, a title, um, it's a family visiting the seaside for a fortnight in September. Uh, and it's quite simple. They've been going to the same place year after year. It's starting to get a bit shabbier. They're starting to wonder if they should look elsewhere. Uh, they're sort of lower middle class, I guess. Um, and there's lots of class stuff in there as well. Uh, there's a bit of coming of age for the children. Um, but like everything he writes, it's just really captivating. You, you, you love all the characters. You yeah. get sort of completely lost in the world. Um, yeah. Uh, and then as opposed to like the whole visiting thing, I was thinking Daphne du Maurier is like most of her books are set by the sea, aren't they? Or somewhere near the sea. Yeah. Um, where it's just part, I guess, well, I shouldn't think, like Rebecca, I guess she's just arrived there. So she's getting to know the area. Um, Frenchman's Creek, I guess she, or similarly is new there. But, um, for a lot of the characters in it and a lot of the novels, it's, it's a world they're used to. Um, and I like that. I've never lived anywhere near the sea and I like the idea of growing up somewhere that, and just being used to the sea being there. So any, any novelist who can make me feel like I have lived in this, in a, in that sort of world for a long time, I really enjoy. Uh, now that, now that I've changed or like, or yeah, now you know what the, <laughs> the rules are, Rachel, what comes to mind? Well, one of my, um, one of my dreams is, is to live by the sea one day. And I've always had a real, um, affinity with Devon and Cornwall, where I spent mm. all my summer holidays as, as a child. Um, and I always loved Rosamund Pilcher's um, books, The Shell Seekers and Coming Home. So they're set there um, in magnificent houses, particularly Coming Home. It's um, this huge stately home on the cliffs above uh, above the sea in Cornwall. And it's a huge part of the setting. And it's just so romantic and wonderful. Um and I, yeah, I just loved that setting and always thought, oh gosh, I wish I could live there. I wish I could walk along that beach. And it's just so evocative of, of the rugged coastline there. Um, I also really loved The Child Famous Five, which is set, yeah, of course, um, yeah. most of which are set by the sea down in Cornwall as well. Um, and I just, I, I suppose I associate this books written by the seaside tend to be about a lifestyle that I've, I don't have and I've always quite fancied having you know, this idea that you're always on the beach it's always sunny um this sort of outdoorsiness and being able to have these long walks and looking out across to the horizon and reflecting mm. about things and um I think what's quite interesting is that in the 19th century when you look at 19th century novels particularly early 19th century novels like Jane Austen um the seaside is seen as somewhere tawdry and mm -hmm. where you know, bad stuff happens people make stupid decisions and fall in with men that they shouldn't and things like that whereas as you move into the 20th century novels set by the sea are more about escapism and having freedom that moment. And stuff, aren't they? Yeah. yeah freedom and that time away from your ordinary life which is what you see in a fortnight in september which perfectly captures that idea of being able to to step outside of your ordinary life and and have those couple of weeks by the sea to reevaluate things and um yeah so i think seaside novels are are wonderful because they just automatically make us think of holidays and they automatically um allow us to just kind of i don't know wander off into a different space mentally um and that, that they for me bring that feeling of of joy and um lack of responsibility i suppose that i feel on holidays yeah, and I, th I mean, I should say everything's relative when we say we don't live near the sea. I remember an American blogger saying, look, the seaside's only three hours from my house. And I'm thinking, well, everything in the UK is three hours from my house. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, you're never more than is it 71 miles from the coast in, in the UK, I think. I think that's, and that's the coast rather than the sea, rather than like a beach, I guess. But, um, yeah. but, but yes, I think there's such a big difference between being even, you know, 20 miles from the beach and being, 
in a seaside community um, yeah. in terms of that sort of world that is created. Um, slightly more somberly, have you read um, Beside the Sea by Veronique Olmi? Which, um, no, that's one of those Perini press books, isn't it? It I is, remember yeah, one of the that. first ones, which is really good but very dark. Um, I can't remember how early the dark stuff happens in it, so I probably shouldn't say. But it's, <laughs> uh, I guess it's big spoilers, but um, definitely not a place. Well, it's sort of a place of freedom, but a very dark sort of freedom. Um, yeah, and I suppose, I mean, I don't know, I can't think of any, but there must be some. There are certainly films where, obviously, certainly in Britain, and I'm sure it's the case in some other places, where the seas- there are a lot of seaside towns that have become run down mm-hmm. and um, have become places where there's a lot of, you know, unemployment, a lot of um, drug addiction and things like that. And I can't think of any books, but I've, I've certainly seen a couple of films. Um, and I think there's a possibility, there's, quite a lot of possibility to when you look at a book compared to people going on holiday people who are living in seaside towns the experience can be very different yeah there's a lot that was sort of very um popular in maybe mid to late victorian period that are now very run down and got that sort of faded grandeur everywhere uh but again i can't can't think of any oh i suppose if you think of like brighton rock Mm, yes good point yep because that very much explores the seedy side of, of holiday resorts and that sense of a lack of responsibility um, because everyone's on holiday and you dis- being able to disappear within the crowds is a real um, ominous and unsettling air about these kind of transitory communities where people are coming in and coming out the whole time. Yeah, definitely. Um and even something like a fortnight in September, it's a, the the economy is fading there mm. at the time it's happening. Um, I did find think find it harder to think of things in the mountains. Mm. Um, although one such book was In the Mountains by Elizabeth von Arnhem. Um, well, which, I've not read that one. Yeah, it's not one of her most popular, and I think that's probably deservedly so. It's, it's not. <laughs> it's it's good, but it's nowhere near her best. Um, it's a written by someone who moves to a mountain region sort of gets to know the very spread out community and it's, it's sort of about um a bit about isolation and then this gets more more amusing sort of more comic i guess as it goes on because these, these two women move into come over to the area or as guests in the house but um what i do remember about it is that sense of the difficulty of mountainous communities like just getting from a to b mm. um which and also made me think i can't remember if betty mcdonald's uh, the Egonai is actually a mountainous area or just a sort of very hilly area. <laughs> but uh, she that's a memoir, sort of a fictionalised memoir about um, running a farm in the middle of nowhere. And it's certainly very hard to get from place to place and it's very, very isolated as well. Um, and then I think of people like, I guess it's more autobiographies or more, sorry, biographies than the novels, but when you read about Catherine Mansfield in the sanatorium uh, in Switzerland in the mountains, or Elizabeth von Arnhem living in the in this in the mountainous areas, I think also in Switzerland, um, it's uh, I think in the way that um, stuff by the seaside, whether in fiction or non-fiction, gives you that sense of freedom and possibility and escape. Mountain mountainous memoir, <laughs> if that's a thing, uh, make me think of isolation and entrapment and it can sort of very it can be very beautiful obviously there's lots of very snowy mountains and all that sort of thing but it's um a sort of lack of possibility there because you're you're high up far away you can't get to the nearest cities you can't easily get away from it Mm. Uh, you're sort of away from the world rather than facing out to the possibilities of the world if that makes sense yeah and i think it's it's um there are obviously a lot of memoirs and a lot of books about people who, who climb mountains and that extreme sport side of things. Um, I th- think of um, those sort of books like, you know, 127 Days or Hours or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. People getting trapped and um, there is that sense of, of kind of pushing yourself to the extreme and putting yourself in danger for some kind of thrill. Um and I, I suppose, yeah, I always associate mountains with with danger. It kind of is the idea of the sublime, isn't it, from the Enlightenment period, where you're thinking about, you know, something that's stunningly beautiful, but also terrifying. Um, and for me, a book I read um, fairly recently, 
couple of years ago probably actually um called idaho um and like emily rusberger or something like that the author um it's uh, she's it was her first book and it's set in in idaho um in the mountains and about i can't really say what happens because it would ruin the plot but it's it's based around um a death and a death in upsetting circumstances and the mystery surrounding it and it takes place in the mountains and um amongst this kind of isolated community and one of the reasons why the event is so shocking is is because of the kind of where it happens and the fact that everybody in this place because it is so isolated because it is a mountain community um it it really sort of sends this this ripple through the community that that's never really fixed and that kind of environment where all of the you know getting anywhere is so hard and um people who live there tend to be people who want to live away from others who um have deliberately chosen to isolate themselves in this terrain is really interesting and i think there's a lot of um there's a lot of narrative mileage to be had in in creating characters who choose to live in a in a place that is difficult to get in or out of um and i you know there's obviously Heidi and things like that as well that celebrate the beauty of of mountains and that more kind of sound of music-esque um stuff but i'm not i can't say i've ever read a lot of books set in mountainous areas i don't know why yeah i guess when i was thinking mountains originally i was thinking you know, snowy areas and mm. like you say a sort of um exploration which well i never read any of that sort of thing so i've got so little patience with it it's like just why are you doing this something stupid i don't understand at all why people <laughs> deliberately put themselves in danger um but i guess that's an i never understand this, the thirst for adrenaline <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not not in my arsenal i'd rather have a cup of tea but um but uh, yeah your mention of idaho does make me think of all the and i guess betty mcdonald as well all those mountainous areas in america that aren't you know, the snowy peaks of Switzerland. Um, and I think the Barbara Kingsolver I read most recently called Prodigal Summer is set in a mountainous area. She certainly lives, um, one, one of the three main characters lives in the middle of nowhere and it's in an inaccessible place where it's very hard to get to neighbours and she's just there with the wildlife and then with a gentleman caller. But um, yes, uh, I would be interested in reading uh, more from that area I think um, I'm always, like you said in previous episodes, I'm always interested when people write about areas that aren't commonly written about, about communities that aren't commonly written about. Uh, and there's, there's huge swathes of America that I'm not familiar with novelistically, certainly not familiar with in terms of having been there, but you, you know, most American novels I read tend to be in New York or Chicago or the, the big cities, um, um, but not so much like, yeah, the mountain regions and things. And it'd be, I'd be interested to hear people's recommendations, particularly if they get really good at evoking that um, sense of isolation. Or, you know, um, maybe there's really positive tellings of it. I don't want to assume that it's always about people being miserable and alone. Well, <laughs> um, plenty of people who love living in those sorts of places. And I'm sure there's also plenty of books about living in sort of the Highlands and Scotland and that kind mm. of thing. That reminds me of a lot of John Buchan's books are set in Scotland and in that with like um, 39 Steps. He's mm. on the run in Scotland and, and the mountains are useful to him to, to keep hidden, which is, is another element of, um, you know, mountainous regions. You can hide yourself if you're trying to be, um, keep, keep yourself a secret from the police and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Adventure novels. One of the novels I'm currently reading um, is called Proud Citadel by Dorothy Evelyn Smith, who wrote Oh, the Brave Music that I really loved. Oh, yeah. Um, and that is coming out from the British Library in autumn, hopefully, okay. in my in my series, my series, uh, which is great. But um, it starts off with this this girl who's been orphaned and has to go and live with a distant relative who lives in this very remote um, area, I think Yorkshire, Some, but by the coast. Does Yorkshire have a coast? Maybe yeah. it's not Yorkshire. Yeah. Yes, good, good. Um, so, oh, it's called Scarborough and stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and it, there's a one, it's a very evocative sense of her going through this more to get there, but also her first visit to the sea and not having seen the sea before, and she, she's maybe seven or eight or something, um, and having you know, seen it in picture books and not really understanding its power and its uh, sort of the majestic nature of the sea. And I think 
that's something that I get from things by the sea that it's either, you know, restful, like it's a holiday, or particularly if it's not a beach, if it's if it's just cliffs or, you know, the sea just visible from the side, you, you understand its power and its da- maybe its danger. But I think majesty is a sort of sense that she, she gives her just... It's so unlike anything you encounter that's not the sea, if that makes sense. It's just such a different creature to the land. Sounds, I don't know if that sounds really fatuous, but it, but if someone can if someone can write describe that re- really well in a novel, that is really captivating. Mm. No, I agree. Um, so, sea or mountains? What are you going to choose? Well, I mean, I always love reading books set by the sea because it just makes me feel like I'm on holiday and. Um, I've always got such happy memories of being by the sea, so I, I would always pick sea. I think I'm the same. I've, I've enjoyed um, books in mountainous regions and would be keen to read more. But I think both, yeah, I'm with the sea, but both I think are really interesting ways of giving you a sense of... Um, they're just so different from things that aren't said in these places. Like it, real, it was sets of a structure of the novel that's really interesting so we'd be keen to read more it's not something i've consciously gone towards before but now we've talked about it i think i might mm. um we have a question for the middle section that oh. i've not given you any preparation for i'm afraid um okay. it's from from whim thank you whim uh would like some suggestions for books that evoke spring oh yeah well Illyrian Spring by Anne Bridge is one of my <laughs> favorite books yes that was on my list as well um, um, t- talk about that for a bit yeah, it's just the most wonderful book. It's been reprinted fairly recently by Daunt Books, and mm. it was written in the 1930s. It's about um, a woman called Grace who is middle-aged in terms of the book, but she's not really. She's like 40. Um, <laughs> and she is a the wife of a very important person who treats her very badly, and her teenage children are grow- growing up and also don't really think much of her. And she's actually a famous painter, as it would happen. Um, but her family don't really know that she is. I don't know how she manages to keep the secret from them. But she and so one day she just has enough and she decides that she's going off on a, a holiday by herself. She just needs to be by herself. And she wants to paint. So she goes off to um, what was then called the Illyrian coast or the Dalmatian coast, which is... Um, of the top part of the bottom part of Croatia uh, sorry the bottom part of Italy and the top part of Croatia so she goes um down there and then on the boat crossing over she she meets a boy called Nicholas who is doing a similar thing he's running away from home his parents don't understand him or his dreams to be an architect and um they sort of fall in with each other and have this wonderful platonic friendship where they support each other and they give each other the encouragement they both need to go back to their their lives and um kind of move forward positively and it's this is one it's it's kind of a wonderful story between the two of them but it's also a fantastic travelogue of that part of the world i mean Anne bridge was very widely traveled she was the wife of a diplomat so she she had been to the region and she just describes it so evocatively and nowadays it's it's incredibly touristic that part of the world and there's lots of hotels and things but at the time it was it was hardly visited at all and these descriptions of them stopping off at cottages and being given you know these amazing rustically cooked meals and things and and really being able to experience what it was like to be part of of that region and the cultural traditions and and the and what was still a very traditional way of life then is just incredible to read about um and actually a lot of i've read somewhere that that book is what caused that area to become um quite popular as a tourist destination once once the book had come out so Mm. yeah another another great sea-based book oh indeed i didn't think about that um and also in the mountains oh my gosh what what can't it do (laughs) (laughs) uh i um, when I was mulling this over, I thought Enchanted April by yeah. Elizabeth von Arnhem, which, um, you know, obviously is springtime, set in April. Uh, um, if people who don't know that, I think we covered it in an early episode, mm-hmm. but um, a bunch of people who are feeling rather unhappy go off to somewhere beautiful in Italy, rent this big villa together that they can't afford to rent separately. And it's sort of a transformative time in their lives, mm-hmm. um, but, but also very beautiful descriptions of the setting and of um, the the uh, flora and yeah it's really lovely um on the sort of flip side of that that mostly because i was thinking books with spring in the title i was thinking in the springtime of the year by susan hill which is a brilliant 
short novel um, that is set in springtime, but about someone who a husband is killed when a um, tree falls on him. And it's basically a novel about grief um, and watching springtime at the same time, sort of new life at the same time as as um, losing life. And Susan Hill's, I think, fiance at the time was um, killed. I can't remember how, not quite the same way, but another accident. And so it's, it's autobiographical in terms of the feelings, even if not in terms of the actual events. So it's really beautiful and um, quite painful book to read and I'm sure quite painful book to write. But yeah, very, very good and very good at using spring as a way of structuring the novel. Uh, yeah. Have you read that? No. Well, no, I have actually, and I didn't like it very much. I just, you know, <laughs> I don't really get on with Susan Hill. That's true. Um, it's true. <laughs> and um, obviously there's Spring by Ali Smith, which I've never read, but um, I've heard no, lots me of neither. about it. Um, and I'm wondering, is a month in the country set in the spring or the summer? I can't remember. Mm, neither can I, but I would guess summer. I feel like it's set in May, which kind of is spring. That's but cusp, isn't um, it? I'll Google it, keep talking. No, I'm not sure, but it's a wonderful book anyway. Um, very short. And yes, do you, want to, do you want to say what happens? It's about, it's after World War One, isn't it? Or two? Um, I, yeah, I can't remember actually. <laughs> after one of the wars. Yeah. And it's about a um, an architect who goes to help uh, with the restoration of a, a village church in the countryside and He's um, been in the war. He's had a difficult time of it. He's still recovering emotionally from that. And um, this kind of month in the country where he falls in love with the wife of the vicar and um, just kind of slows his life down and experiences sort of, I don't know, is a, a mm. bit kind of, um, it feels quite modern actually in the sense it's all about sort of mindfulness really in some ways of, of allowing your life just to stop and be do something different. It's very slim, very short. Mm. Um, but it's it's also about watching the the countryside change and develop over whatever season of the year it's set in. Is it spring or summer? I cannot find that information. <laughs> um, so who knows? Only eighty five pages. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's you can read it in a, in a couple of hours. It's wonderful. Very easily, yeah. Uh, and there's so much in there. Mm. He's a really interesting novelist because all of his books are so different. Um, yeah, I've never um, read another one of his actually, other than one in the country. I've read. Um, a Day in Summer, which is very good, obviously not set in spring, about a man trying to avenge his son being killed in a, mo- in a motoring accident. Um, but much like, it's not, it sounds very dramatic like that. It's, it's still quite contemplative. Um, and a couple others that I didn't like very much, so I won't talk about these. Yeah. But yeah, he, uh, the other author I was thinking about, um, was Beverly Nichols, who we'll talk about again in a bit, but I think any, writer who talks a lot about what how the world is changing the you know plants and the plants that are emerging and the countryside um throughout the year is is what i think of in spring i think about the new life of of blossom and um daffodils and all those sorts of things uh, so he doesn't talk about um much outside his garden so we don't get all stuff about you know lambs and stuff but uh but he has a very observant eye on on the changing seasons in his garden in his books about his garden so, um, yeah, him. Yeah. Lovely. Do you have any more? Should we, should we move on? No, I don't think so. But... Hopefully that gives you a bit of a range whim uh, for some things to listen to, to sorry, to read in spring. Mm. Don't forget, if you have a question you'd like to ask for the middle section or a theme for a different part of the episode, do get in touch at teaorbooks at gmail.com. Uh, you can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash tea or books. Many thanks to everyone who does, uh, particularly to Randy, Heather, Liana, Michelle and Elizabeth. Um, but also you know, everyone else. Very grateful. There's a f- I'm putting up very short bonus episodes uh, in the most recent one. Uh, there you can find out which Bennett sister I am. Uh, so that's available to anyone who wants to support the podcast. Uh, don't forget, also, you can see all the books and authors we mentioned in this episode at stuckinabook.com. You can find Rachel's blog at booksnob.wordpress.com. Um, in the final section, we will be comparing Her Son's Wife by Dorothy Canfield, square brackets, Fisher, and square brackets, sometimes known as that, um, and Auntie Mame by Patrick Dennis, which are quite different novels, but both about relatives. Um, could you introduce us to Auntie Mame, please? I could indeed. So um, Auntie Mame is set in America in the middle years of the 20th century, and it starts with um, Patrick 
becoming orphaned at a quite a young age and being taken to his unsuspecting aunt who is going to become his guardian and she is uh, a very beautiful very glamorous um woman who has um a very kind of unconventional lifestyle for the time she's hugely wealthy um and she's very popular with men and um she just basically likes having a good time she's also uh, had many kind of shady things happen in her past that are, are referenced briefly mm. for hilarious effect, but we don't really quite find out who she is or, or what she's been up to or exactly how old she is. Um, and it's the book is kind of watches Patrick grow up and all of the crazy things that Auntie Mame does, the men that she marries, um, all of the times that she embarrasses him. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just really funny. And, um, also looks at the kind it doesn't really sort of explore the relationship between the two of them in masses of detail but you mm. can see the love and affection there she does her best yes yeah. <laughs> um her son's wife is about mrs i've just finished it how can i remember in bascom um who adores her son <laughs> who also has a name <laughs> what's her son's name i literally finished it this afternoon Louis, no, not Louis, Ralph, Ralph. Yes, <laughs> right. Mrs. Baskin adores her son Ralph. Uh, he's away, um, and whilst he's away, he gets married to a woman called Lottie. Uh, he's very young. Um, Mrs. Baskin is a sort of quite strict school teacher who's always had quite a firm hand over him, and she's horrified by the idea of him having made this sort of hasty decision without her say so. And is even more horrified when Lottie comes and she's flighty and hysterical and. Um, not at all the sort of woman that she would have chosen, but they all they all live together uh, for a while, uh, and it's um, I think quite in some ways quite a stereotypical premise of the mother-in-law doesn't like the daughter-in-law, but turns into a really psychologically interesting novel as Miss Bascom tries to to deal with the situation, um, both by needing to change herself and trying to change others, particularly after they have. Uh, a baby and she becomes very besotted with her granddaughter um so yeah it's we can talk more about it obviously but uh it takes that premise and does really interesting things with it i think yes it's not what you expect yeah <laughs> i don't know how much we can say about it but we can start so yeah. we start talking about it uh yeah. when did you when did you only oh, no, you read it recently didn't you yeah i did yeah um yeah, I've, I found it really interesting because I was expecting it to be a straightforward, you know, nightmare mother-in-law story. And I mm. was expecting her to be somebody I, I wouldn't seem be able to find much sympathy for. Um, and actually what, what makes it such an interesting and quite emotionally engaging read for, for the, for the reader is that you can see in some ways how she's unreasonable towards her daughter-in-law and her son in what she, um, expects of them and in terms of she's quite a con I wouldn't say she's controlling but she likes having things a certain way and she has expectations of how things should be based on her her moral values and she cannot see how other people might not want to do things the way that she does so for example her daughter-in-law is very messy um and doesn't see the need to tidy up after herself all the time and whatever you know it's not important to her um and so you can kind of see elements of of her character being a little bit too inflexible a little bit too unable to compromise and it, sometimes I just felt like saying oh well you know you need to just chill out a little bit you know you need to to relax you need to be a little bit more um flexible with people and uh be prepared to to kind of compromise if she had have been more prepared to compromise then maybe things wouldn't have been so bad but then at the same time the daughter-in-law um lottie isn't it she is infuriating and um in many ways and i also found the son infuriating so i just thought really you know how could you have let this continue um and i did feel in many ways that Mary Baskin was taken advantage of and it was very difficult to to kind of come to a, a conclusion on well she's to blame or he's to blame and it was very I think emotionally sensitive in looking at the reasons why people are the way they are 
And I think that's something that Dorothy Canfield is so good at doing is, is being able to show the full spectrum of humanity and human emotions. And she's a very psychological writer in thinking about, you know, people as being products of, of where they've come from in life. Um, and she's very, I think, ahead of her time in being able to, to, to say, well, somebody can turn out like Lottie, for example, she comes from a very disruptive home environment. So there's no, that explains in many ways why she is the way she is. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, yeah, she's, I think she's so good at emotions and relationships. So Miss Baskin has got very little patience with Lottie and increasingly little patience with her son. But when her granddaughter is born, the way that Dorothy Canfield writes about her sudden, like, sort of almost painful love for that granddaughter, uh, I thought was brilliant. And there's a f- there's a few moments in it about you know either moments of sacrifice or of um, doing something for the sake of another person that she describes re- with this, yeah. It, it feels almost pa- I felt the pain of the characters. She is so vivid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the flip side of that, which didn't work always the same way is that it's not it's not particularly long novel my my version's 280 something pages but it feels really long because she never mm. like every thought and feeling is analyzed in great depth so you'll get pages and pages where it's just someone thinking things which can be the, the whole of a novel and a very successful novel but i felt at times in this one that she gave so much time to every emotion and thought that it, there were lots that really we didn't need that long on them and it sort of clouded over the ones which were much more meaningful mm. so i i and i also think that maybe the end of the novel didn't need to be there it would have been more successful if it ended maybe 50 pages before the end but um yeah i don't know if you you found the same it wasn't it was quite a slow novel but yeah um, it was, yeah it was a very rich novel but i think it could have been a better shorter novel yeah, I agree. I thought it was it was it went on far too long, and I thought that the ending was unnecessary. Um, and yeah, for me, it felt like it was it was kind of like um, how can I best describe it? You know, when you feel like well, this has already happened, and yet you're repeating the same thing two more times for emphasis. If you see what mm-hmm. I mean, and actually, we got it the first time. Um, I think it would have worked as a more intense um, narrative if it were made shorter um it could have done with being i think 100 pages shorter for me um mm. it, it wasn't as successful for me as, as the homemaker which is my favorite one of her novels um but I, I i do think that her interiority is a real skill and um if she had perhaps worked a little bit more on on plotting in terms of you know getting through a story um it would have been more successful because there was just a little bit too much characterization and not enough plot for me. Yeah. And we can't, we can't really talk about what her solution to the dynamics of the house are, because I think it should be discovered by the reader, Mm. but I, I thought that was such a brilliant twist. And also what was so good about that was that she never expressly tells you why people are doing things. Yeah. Um, and I was kept being really worried that it would be, she would do it at some point and she'd just like, you know, big confession moment or yeah. there'd be even in the sort of narrative, you have her thinking about it. She, you never get that. And yeah, that won't really make sense till people read it, but it's so clever that the reader has to put the, the dots together to see yeah. even a belief the service of what's happening. And I thought that was, yeah, really yeah. brilliant. And I thought also something that I loved was the relationship between her and her granddaughter and those descriptions mm-hmm. of that intense love that she has for her. And, um, I thought were really beautiful. And it reminded me sort of when, when, um, the daughter, the granddaughter is being used sort of like a weapon. It reminded me of a lot of stoner. The yeah. Way the daughter is used as a weapon in there and the same sort of intensity of feeling, but also helplessness of knowing how to act in that situation. Yeah. Um, whereas Auntie Mame is a lot more surface, a lot more sort of humor, um, and absurdity. Um, what do you make of this sort of central relationship to the nephew and aunt there? Well, they're not actually nephew and aunt, are they? What are they? No, they are nephew and aunt. Oh, they are not. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting one because they are, Auntie Mame is, is fun and she's not a maternal person. Um, she enjoys Patrick's company and, um, enjoys kind of having him around as a companion, um, but not necessarily 
as a child. She doesn't say, I certainly don't think she sees herself as a mother figure. No. Um, but she wants what's best for him or what she believes to be best for him. But I mean, much of their time they spend apart, you know, he goes to boarding school, yeah. he goes to college, but, um, she's always got an eye on him. She's always, um, kind of looking out for him. And I thought it was quite interesting as he gets older and starts to get involved with women. And, you know, she's very keen to protect him from women who, uh, you know, his first fiance, who she sees straight away is, is not right for him. Um, and I just find I found the dynamic really interesting because you could tell that uh, Patrick, you don't really get a lot of a sense of of him describing his feelings for Auntie Mae, mm. what he says about her and the way he describes her. You can tell that he's in awe of her and he loves her and he thinks she's amazing. Um, you know, he finds her incredibly embarrassing. Yeah, there's, as you would. Yeah. As, as you would. But there is a sense that he acknowledges that she is, you know, quite a woman. Yeah, and I think in in contrast to her son's wife, where it's about very gradual buildings of emotions and relationships, this is much more, it's basically a collection of short stories, it's very episodic, Um, there is that overarching narrative, but she just sort of appears and then something happens, and it's all quite, each section is quite self-contained, even whilst their relationship is ongoing. Yeah. Which is great fun, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not got any psychological realism to it, really, it's not trying to... um, it's more about spectacle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not about, um, yeah, it's, it's not about their relationship. It's more about, uh, the absurdity of the situation. I think it's played for laughs, isn't it? Yeah. Whether she's sort of pretending to be Spanish or yeah, all those sorts of, yeah, she's always pretending to be different types of people whilst also sort of being very fully herself. Yeah. Um, the thing that I do remember not loving in it was, that sort of conceit of comparing her to the spinster in the digest at the beginning of every section, like who's this yes. sort of exemplary model of somebody. And then he's like, and this is how she's not at all like that, which I thought was fine the first time, but sort of cluttered up the beginning of each section to me. I don't, what did you think of those bits? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure why he was doing that. Um, I didn't think it was necessary, um, mm. but it was, it kind of set her up as being a kind of, um, I suppose, showing how different she was from the norm and how um, revolutionary she was as a figure. And I suppose that in that's where you get the sense of pride that he has that, you know, this is what most people expect of that. And actually, this is what she is really like. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she goes against all conventions. And so I think there's, I think he's using that in a way to perhaps show, how much he admires her in a sense because he never actually says it in words Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that these books are both about how a new relative can so totally disrupt your life but is treated so differently it's very hard to compare them (laughs) in fact maybe we shouldn't have done but um, yeah in some ways the level of disruption is is not dissimilar um, but whilst Dorothy Canfield is looking at at the pain and the shifting emotions of each moment in that is yeah Patrick Dennis is much more I mean it was a great delight to read it reminded me of things like Travels with My Aunt by Graham Greene and a book I read called Abby by Dane Chandos that I don't think is particularly well known but similar sort of um full of life slightly acerbic older relative comes and destroys things and you know I love a a acerbic spinster in a novel of course of course (laughs) Yeah, um, I think that's something that's interesting about both of them, isn't it? The idea that one person in your family can completely change your lives. Um, and either for the good or for the better. Uh, sorry, for the good or the worse. And um, I think what's quite interesting about the Auntie Mame is that she never really tries to be a mother to him or she doesn't try and replace the parents that he's lost in any way. Um Whereas I feel like um, in her son's wife, she does try to be um, her mother. She does try to Mm. kind of, um, I suppose, recreate a motherly, like she wants, and, and she can't accept that her son doesn't need her to be a mother anymore in that sense. 
um, and that he's moved on with his life. Um, and she kind of won't let go. Um, whereas I feel like Auntie Mame has, has that, just that right sense of distance. So that's what's interesting between the two of them, I suppose. That's a really good point. She's compl- yeah, Auntie Mame w- would be fine if, if Patrick weren't there. She's very yeah. independent. Uh, whereas Miss Vascombe, sort of her entire sense of self is based on her relationships with other people, whether that's her pupils or her, her late husband or, yeah, her son, her daughter-in-law. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, have you seen the film of Auntie Mame? I haven't, no. Me neither. I've heard good things, and it's Ro- Rosalind Russell, who's I've liked in other things. But I, I was watching some clips on YouTube earlier today, uh, and it does look good fun, so I might have to explore that. Mm. Yeah, I would like to see that. I think from the clips I've seen, I did watch a trailer. They've made her out to be a little bit more motherly than in the book. Okay. Which could be interesting. Um, and like Auntie Mame, I think it's very interesting what, you know, what elderly is counted for in these books. Uh, so her son's wife is from the t- mid twenties, I think. And Mrs. Bascom at one point is described as elderly when she's 59, I think. Mm. Um, and just everyone's so much younger in it than I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you get the sort of sense that Ralph is, you know, 30 or something when he gets married and I think he's actually like 19 and well yeah everyone's just much much younger but I guess they have shorter life expectancy as well so Mm. Um, so they're really different but uh, which would you choose? Well I I wouldn't say either of them have become real favourites of mine Mm. but I think in terms of a book that I enjoyed reading and I got really involved with the characters I'd probably go with Her Son's Wife um, and it was a book that I, I was left thinking about for a long time afterwards, considering, you know, who was right, who was wrong, you know, what did I, what, you know, was, was Mary wrong in what she did and, um, you know, could she have handled it better? I thought it was a much more thought provoking book than Auntie Mae, which, which was a lot of fun to read, but it was, uh, it was kind of light and fluffy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Auntie Mae is, does what it's trying to do really brilliantly um, and her son's wife has those flaws we've talked about but I think what it's aiming for and what it what it what it actually achieves is is worth more I think it's such a psychologically interesting novel and really well developed so um, at certain times I definitely would rather turn to Auntie Mame to read her, and it's just good fun and I happily reread it um, but I think I'm of the two yeah I think I'm still going to pick her son's wife because I think it's such an interesting and intriguing novel and yeah like i'm sure i'll be thinking about it a lot as well which you know auntie mame i've not thought about at all since i read it whilst i enjoyed reading it a lot mm-hmm. Good. There you go. fab um great in the next episode we'll be going to the countryside in and uh, one novel and one non-fiction uh fresh from the country by miss reed and a thatched cottage by beverly nichols um both of which probably quite spring-like as well yeah um great thanks very much for listening everyone and see you next time yeah lovely shirt to have you with us and stay safe everybody yes stay safe see you soon bye, bye. bye.